welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this Facebook Live with Arthur Kemp. And also, I will release this as a podcast episode. But for those of you who are in our closed private uh, mentoring Facebook group, you are going to be able to ask your questions during this presentation. So, Type your questions into the comments box as we go through, and then probably at the end, I will uh, invite Arthur to answer any of your questions. So Arthur is our capital allowances surveyor. And for those of you that don't know much about capital allowances, you should find this extremely interesting because for a service accommodation operator, capital allowances are a massive um, way of of maximizing your profit, paying an awful lot less tax on your service accommodation, furnished holiday, let, hotel type property. So I won't steal Arthur's uh, thunder and explain him the capital allowances, but he has done capital allowances claims for myself and my other half, Caroline, on from one bedroom apartments used as SA forward slash furnished holiday let through to five bedroom houses, but also on uh, guest house B&Bs that um, we buy in order to convert into a part hotel. So uh, a wealth of experience and knowledge that Arthur has on capital allowances. Some of you obviously will be watching this live, but other people will be listening to this as a podcast episode. So I just wanted to make that clear to everybody. So I'm about to hand over to Arthur, who will share some slides as well. So those people listening on on the podcast, obviously you're not going to be able to see those, but he is going to explain it um, as he goes through. So not to worry about that. So hi, Arthur, please uh, take it away. Over to you. Thanks very much. Tax and uh, it isn't normally very interesting, but uh, this what I'll do today is I'll just explain the fundamentals of capital allowances, and uh, I've got some examples as well. So hopefully this will be um, this will be lots of information for people who can actually uh, take it on board, and then you know using this information they can then apply it to their own particular circumstances. And uh, yeah, thank you, Kevin. As you as you sort of rightly said, we've been doing capital allowances now for about eleven years now, and it's all we do. And it's it's kind of interesting how it's changed over the years. But I'll concentrate mainly on serviced accommodation properties uh, for today. Um, so when we talk about capital allowances, we talk about a really valuable tax relief. And this tax relief is one of the few legitimate tax reliefs that the revenue allow you to claim uh, in order to reduce the amount of tax that you pay. And the revenue actually say this on their website. They say that you can claim these capital allowances when you buy assets that you keep for use in your business. Now, they mentioned quite a few different bits of terminology, but one of the key parts is something called plants and machinery. So plant and machinery uh, is one of the key phrases to do with capital allowances. Now, plant and machinery is typically all of your second fix items uh, in a property, uh, and that's based on the last 140 years of case law, 
Um, and there's a quite a, a detailed list of all of those things. But just bear that phrase in mind, planting machinery, because it does appear uh, a bit later on as well. Um, and what they say is on the revenues website, you're allowed to deduct the value of that plant and machinery from your profits before you start paying any tax. So think about it as an additional business expense that you use in your business to reduce your taxable profits uh, in order to pay less tax. And that's effectively what you're doing. Um, and when you're able to claim these allowances is at any time during the whole project life cycle. So typically, uh, people will be buying a property, first of all, and you can make a claim on the purchase of the property because you're buying the foundations, you're buying the structure, uh, you're also buying the plant and machinery, you're buying all the second fix items as part of the uh, part of the overall purchase. So whenever you buy a property, then you can claim some capital allowances then. But not only then, when you actually develop the property, lots of people's processes buy a property, develop it, add some more bedrooms or add another level or extend it. And all of that development costs, uh, some of those will be items of plant and machinery as well. So then you can make another claim uh, based on the development works as well. Uh, and again, you just use all of those items uh, to reduce the amount of tax that you pay. It sometimes helps people to think about capital allowances as tax depreciation of your assets. And lots of people who are in business will be aware of what a profit and loss account is. Profit and loss account obviously shows your rental income that you have for your business, and it lists all of the various expenses that you have from management fees to cleaning to maintenance costs. Uh, all of those items you can get a deduction for, and hopefully at the end of it, uh, you've got a profit, right? So uh, that, that's the plan. There's also a line for depreciation where you might depreciate computers, cars, etc., as well. Um, but when your accountant has to do your tax return, depreciation is not a tax deductible business expense. Instead, the revenue allow you to claim capital allowances, but you don't get them automatically uh, at a straight percentage. Uh, you actually have to log them and identify them separately, um, which is why I think it helps some people think about capital allowances as tax depreciation, if you like, because you're depreciating against tax some of the items that you own. And when I say items you own, what I mean is properties that you own as fixed assets for long-term rental income. So there's a bit of a difference here between people who uh, perhaps are developers who want to just buy the properties, flip them and sell them. They're generally not able to claim capital allowances because they don't have any fixed asset properties. So that's something uh, to be aware of. Uh, if you have fixed asset properties that you're keeping for long-term rental income, then you can claim capital allowances on them. So just to kind of identify the difference uh, between those. And whoever owns the property is the one that's able to claim the tax relief as well. So it used to be most properties were owned in an individual's name or partners, uh, two individuals or more, or through an LLP. Uh, and that's perfectly fine. Each one of those individuals is able to claim the allowances or their share of the allowances. More and more uh, often these days, people are setting up limited companies to hold their properties in. Uh, the main reason for that is obviously you can claim interest as a deduction as well. Um, but that limited company is the one that can claim the capital allowances then against the profits that that limited company makes. So it will reduce your corporation tax effectively. So whoever owns the property, as long as it's a tax paying entity, um, then they're able to claim uh, the allowances. 
uh, on there. And it's all uh, legislated for in the Capital Allowances Act 2001, which I grant you uh, isn't the most riveting read in the world, but that sets out all the rules and guidelines and legislation in order for people to claim this uh, very valuable tax relief. Um, and it's done through your tax return process, which is pretty straightforward. And again, I've got just a couple of pages on that later. Um, but it's uh, it's a very simple process once the valuation has been done to actually get the, the tax benefit. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the planning status is of the property because the planning status has no impact on if the property is able to claim or not. What we look at and what the revenue uh, requires is that each property is looked at on its own merits. Um, and as long as you can identify that it's a qualifying property and it's in a qualifying activity, then they're the only two requirements you need uh, in order to claim. And what I mean by that is, are you trading it as a serviced accommodation unit? Yes, you are. Uh, is it a property that you are that you legally own uh, or you have a deed on there or you own it as a share in a partnership or through an LLP? And yes, then that's the only two criteria that you need uh, to meet. So irrespective of the planning status, then um, you're able to claim capital allowances, which I know is quite um, interesting because people want to test out the serviced accommodation market. And I think in some places in the country, and you'd know more about this than I would, Kevin, that um, you'd have to, you have to, after 90 days, and apply for a change of use uh, in the planning uh, permission departments. Uh, there as well. So that's that's something that irre it's irrelevant of the status in order for you to claim. But one of the biggest things um, about capital allowances, which is um, what a lot of people like and where you can add massive amounts of value, is that you're allowed to use these allowances against any other income stream that you have. So very often as people are setting up their uh, property business and they're growing it, they will have uh, a job which keeps them you know, employed and keeps them with a, a decent income while they're building up their property portfolio. But you can actually use the allowances for your properties against the income that you're earning through your job. And that way, any tax that you've paid for your employment, uh, you can get back, which is a massive bonus for people who are, who are in that position. Uh, and that utilizes something called sideways loss relief. Um, so if people want to Google that, that sort of uh, explains the rules around uh, around utilizing that but it's very powerful uh, and very very valuable so the types of properties that we're looking at are basically uh, any any non-dwelling properties so the legislation itself says look it says you cannot claim capital allowances on a dwelling house and it goes out to sort of set out what a dwelling house is but effectively if it's somebody's main principal residence you can't claim capital allowances on that property. So single buy-to-let units where it's somebody's house, forget it, you can't claim anything on those. Apart from that, anything else goes really. Um, so we typically see lots of sort of commercial properties, offices, hotels, B&Bs that are all wanting to be converted into serviced accommodation, but you can claim on those anyway. Uh, mixed use properties are very popular. So uh, this is typically uh, units where they'll have a, a retail space on the ground floor, and then flats above, uh, you can claim for those both on the retail units. And if it's serviced accommodation flats above or holiday lets, then you can claim on those as well. If they're just regular buy to lets, not so much. Uh, but you can also claim on a residential property. So if part of your overall project is you're sourcing residential properties to then use as holiday properties or serviced accommodation, then if you take that into the overall project, you can claim for the capital allowances on that residential property as well. 
So that's really important because lots of there's quite a high value in buying these houses, but only if you're going to then use it as serviced accommodation, uh, you can then claim the allowances on. Um, and blocks of flats, again, blocks of flats are, are great. You can claim on the communal access areas. And if some or all of the flats are actually holiday properties of serviced accommodation, then of course you can claim on the plant and machinery that's inside those as well uh, on there. And also one at the bottom there, there's been a, a recent case about HMO properties, uh, which make them a legitimate area of capital allowances as well. But typically most of the work comes from, most of the opportunities come from hotels, bed and breakfasts, residential properties that you then convert into one, two, three, four bedroom, five bedroom serviced accommodation units or individual flats that you're operating as like an apart hotel or something. Um, so those opportunities are, are, are kind of fairly key when it comes to capital allowances. So capital allowances are really good. They're a great way, a legitimate way to not pay any tax. If you don't claim the allowances, then you're paying more tax basically. Uh, and because they have an intrinsic cash value, um, it actually increases the return that you get on the new investment in your projects uh, because it helps you keep hold of more of your hard-earned money. So rather than paying money over to the revenue in terms of tax, you're actually keeping hold of that because you're claiming more tax-deductible expenses through capital allowances and using that money then to reinvest into your portfolio or yourself um, and uh, build your portfolio quicker. And again, knowing about capital allowances makes you a smarter investor because everybody's in competition with everybody else. And you might be looking at a particular deal which doesn't necessarily stack up or it's not that attractive. But once you factor in the capital allowances, it can have actually a massive impact on the return that you get for that property and therefore might make it more appealing. And just by having that knowledge uh, helps you beat the competition in terms of uh, looking for properties. Now, I talk a lot about capital allowances and plant and machinery. So we've got some examples of some plant and machinery here. Um, and these are these are typical things that we find in properties from uh, kitchen units, sanitary wares, plant and machinery, heating systems, uh, even swimming pools. If you've got a, a holiday let with a swimming pool, the swimming pool is an item of plant and machinery or fixed zoo cage. You know, if people have that in their properties, then, uh, you know, fair enough. But a fixed zoo cage is an item of plant and machinery. And it's all based on the last 140 years of case law uh, or dry docks even. If you're, if you're that posh, you might have a dry dock. Uh, but even, no word of a lie, uh, there's actually case law which sets out that a sheepdog is an item of plant and machinery. So, you know, if, if people have working sheep uh, dogs, then they're able to claim, not the sheep, that would be ridiculous, but the sheepdogs uh, you can actually claim for as well. But, I mean, these are the typical sort of things that we see when we're in a property that is plant and machinery. This is what is valued and this is what you claim on uh, on there as well. So I just want to take a, a couple of minutes just to look at the particular areas, the particular types of properties um, before I get on to the sort of claim process, if you like. Um, but typical sort of um, properties we look at for service accommodation are either offices, which are then bought and then converted into service accommodation. But residential is great. The sort of yields you can get when you're buying houses to convert into service accommodation is typically anywhere from 21 to 25%. Um, and that's on the purchase price. So if you think about this, if you're buying a £200,000 house to convert into serviced accommodation, well, there's £50,000 worth of capital allowances there straight away. And that's the value of plant and machinery that will be inside that property. 
And again, that's based on the last sort of 12 years of looking at these types of properties and doing the valuations. So when you're sitting there and you're working out your cash flow and your returns, factor in the level of capital allowances that there will be on that property. Um, and you can you can sort of estimate that uh, on there as well. But even residential properties are relatively low yield for capital allowances when it comes to certain other types. Um, so if you've already, or if you're looking at buying an existing hotel or a guest house, um, which are very good for capital allowances, and they're also pretty much laid out exactly how you would like in that um, many of the rooms have ensuite facilities. And because of that and the extra fire regs they have to meet, um, they tend to be fairly well specced in terms of plant and machinery. So you get a higher yield per pound uh, for those types of properties uh, on there. So it's uh, it's quite a, an interesting um, exercise to do to look at these types of properties if you're planning to do that. Now, what you shouldn't underestimate either is the amount of the yield you get for capital allowances for development works. And I'll tell you why. Because we, um, as part of the valuation process, when we look at a second-hand property, we've got to take into account the land valuation, the reconstruction cost as well, geographical location, when it was actually bought previously, a whole host of things which limits the amount of claim uh, on there. But when we're looking at development works, we literally just have to look at the invoices in front of us to identify what the plant and machinery is and reconcile that with a site survey. And because some development works, you, don't, you tend not to knock the property down. You don't put new foundations in for the whole property. Um, you tend not to move lots of walls around. You get a very high yield on the development works and in terms of plant and machinery. So very often, you might be spending as much on the development works as you have been buying the house, the property, but you'll get more of a yield for capital allowances for tax relief on the development works because more of a proportion of it is plant and machinery. But that's something just to um, consider. And what I'll, I'll do now is I'll spend a fair bit of time, not, not an awful lot of time, but I'll just explain a bit more detail on the importance of uh, the compliance in the overall claims process. So the claims process is fairly straightforward in terms of an initial assessment is made of the types of properties, a desktop assessment to say, here's the sort of allowances that we'd expect to find. We then need to go through the compliance process, which I'll explain in a bit more detail. Um, once that's done and we've got the information we need, obviously we need to go to site and do the valuations, identify plant and machinery that's in the property, uh, value that, provide a report, which then goes into your tax return and then off to the, to the revenue. And that will help, help you either get back tax that you've previously paid or just to uh, mitigate your current tax bill, if you like. But the important section here is on compliance. And I'll sort of explain a bit more why. So there's uh, some new rules, I and mean, it always has been the case that um, you can only make one claim in a property's lifetime. However, the sort of checks that you had to do in the past, before 2012, were very um, not very robust, if you like. The process that we had to do was to contact the previous owner and um, ask if they claimed uh, any capital allowances. So we'd write to them and phone them, but guess how many responses that we got? pretty much zero. Um, and uh, as far as, as long as we demonstrated that and the revenue would accept that we'd try to establish if capital allowances had been claimed. And that was the process at the time, mainly because not many people were doing capital allowances, not many claims were going in. Um, and so it didn't cost the treasury very much. But 
the revenue then updated um, their guidance about the process. And this is this is what is really key about today's sort of position. They said that if you, the new owner, wants to claim capital allowances, you need to agree the capital allowances value with the seller within two years of that property transaction. Well, all of a sudden, that means having quite a difficult conversation with the seller because in some cases, you don't want to alert the seller that all this tax relief is available because they might go away and claim it all instead, um, which leaves you in a position whereby you're not benefiting from that tax relief. So that, that's a quite a, a fairly sort of contentious point there. Um, and so the, the process is fairly straightforward in that we need to get this agreement. Now, what that means in reality is we effectively get a clause in the sales contract, which means that the seller will agree to the capital allowances value that you, the buyer, um, will identify. Now, if we take a look at the seller at the moment, the seller generally doesn't really care about capital allowances for a number of reasons. One, they're not educated about capital allowances, so they don't really understand what it is. Two, they want to sell their property, they've negotiated a price, all they're interested in really is getting that money for the property and then selling the property and moving on to the next particular thing in their life. So as a general rule, we don't have any issues with putting that clause in um, and then the seller signing it off. Where it is a problem is where the seller um, has already claimed capital allowances, in which case you should really then sort of have a default position of they may not be available to you, but maybe you can negotiate a lower purchase price for you because you're not getting that benefit with the property. But if the seller has claimed allowances, it'll be splashed all over the contract. You'll be looking for particular clauses in the contract which will stop you from claiming any of these capital allowances. But generally speaking, 99% of times, the seller hasn't got a clue about capital allowances. We put the clause in the contract. We have to obviously sometimes uh, educate the solicitors about what the clause actually means, um, both the vendor solicitor and the, the your solicitor as the buyer. And also the vendor's accountant sometimes as well needs to understand uh, the impact for their clients on the capital allowances. But as I said, in general, once we've included the clause in the contract and it goes back to the seller, then generally they sign it off because, as I said, they generally just want to move on with the property, get the money and go from there. They haven't claimed any allowances anyway. They may not have been making much profits. And if you're not making profits, um, then capital allowances are useless for those. And certainly within the B&B um, holiday uh, hotel sector, we've done quite a lot of work and certainly um, a lot of marketing to those particular people. I sent a couple of my surveyors out a couple of years ago uh, to spend a long time in summer when it was our, typically our quiet time, going up and down the coast and telling uh, lots of B&B owners about capital allowances. And the majority of them came back saying tax relief is of no interest to them because uh, it's generally a cash business. So I'm not saying they're not declaring all their income, but it's a cash business. And, uh, and they tend not to make, because it's seasonal, they make all their money in summer and they're quiet or closed at winter time. Um, and because of that reason, they don't pay huge amounts of tax. So therefore, claiming capital allowances to wipe their tax bills out is of no interest to them. So when they come to sell the property, you've got a really good property for capital allowances and nobody's claimed any allowances on there. So these types of units are brilliant for uh, maximizing the tax relief on there. So they're quite happy to give away this tax relief because they're not benefiting it from it. Um, but there is a process to follow. So provided 
the previous owner could have claimed the allowances, then you've got to get this agreement. And what I mean by that is that the previous owner could have claimed the allowances. So that excludes some areas of society. So if the seller is a pension fund, then that's perfectly fine because you don't have to do anything because pension funds, the same as charities or the local authority, they don't pay tax. They're outside of the scope to tax. So therefore, you'll by default get all of the capital allowances. And the same as if you're buying from a uh, or buying a residential property. Because it's residential, the previous owner couldn't claim any capital allowances anyway. So therefore, you get them all by default. So if the previous owners could have claimed the allowances, you need to get this agreement. If they couldn't claim any allowances by the fact they were not within the scope to tax or they didn't have a qualifying property, then you don't need to follow this process and you automatically get the right to claim the allowances. But in the in the sort of process whereby um, they could have claimed, you've got to get this agreement in place. And it sounds quite a, a sort of complex area, but effectively having the right clauses in the contract means that they are duty bound, legally, contractually bound, not duty bound, contractually bound um, to abide by its points and its clauses and therefore agree the capital allowances value and disclose it properly um, that we would then later identify. Um, one of the first areas to uh, look at these on more commercial properties is the CPSE inquiries. So that's your first port of call. So when uh, when you're engaging your solicitor, if it's a non-residential property, there should be something called CPSE in inquiries. So commercial property, uh, secondary inquiries, standard inquiries, um, and it's, the, uh, it's what makes up the contract between solicitors of basic information about the property. And on the new version, uh, this is section 32, which does relate to capital allowances specifically. So that's the first port of call to look at. Uh, the next being obviously the, the sales contract. Um, but very occasionally, there is a situation where uh, you want the allowances because it's massive tax relief to you, uh, and the seller doesn't want to agree anything because either they don't understand it or they're misinformed or they, they think it's some something to do with capital gains or they're just not educated on um, the benefits of capital allowances for you and they refuse to sign any agreements. Well, that's still perfectly fine. You can still go through the whole sale process without having any agreement at all because you've still got two years to get this agreement in place. Um, and if after two years they still haven't signed it off, you can go to a tax tribunal um, and they will make the decision for you. That sounds quite a lot more scary than it actually is, um, mainly because uh, it's just a, an, an admin process that we have to go through. But there's a dedicated part of the tribunal process uh, which will do that. It's quite drawn out, but it is just an admin process. But if anything from today, just take away the importance of having the right agreements in place, the right clauses at point of purchase. And that will save you a whole host of time uh, dealing with the tribunal in the future or trying to get some sort of vendor agreement. So um, yeah, for this is how it would appear in your um, tax return. This is where you put the capital allowances. It's either uh, annual investment allowance or all of the capital allowances in the property section of your tax return. And the biggest box that you could have here to make sure that uh, you use it against other income is this box. So when you're completing the property section of your tax return, make sure there's a number in this box here. And that's where you can set some of your loss off against your other taxable income. That's when you get big checks back uh, from the revenue. So knowing about capital allowances is great. Um, if you're looking to obviously build up your future, your, your property portfolio, 
knowing about them, you can implement them and uh, and impart that knowledge. Uh, make sure you get the tax relief uh, and save more money that way. If you already have some of these properties, we can actually go back and make a retrospective claim and get back some of the tax that you paid previously, um, which is great. Property developers typically aren't able to claim allowances because they're not, they don't have any fixed asset properties, as I mentioned. Um, or if you're looking to build a portfolio, just having knowledge about capital allowances is great um, in order to um, you know, build your portfolio quicker and looking at deals in a particular way. So I've just got a few examples here of some properties. Uh, this, is a, this is a great property, which is um, a mixed use unit, obviously. I bought as um, single buyer to lets upstairs, but they're now trading serviced accommodation. The overall project, the purchase price and the development works, 265000 um, and the plant and machinery value, once we did our valuations based on the purchase and development, uh, was £82,000. And that's in an individual's tax return. So they'll be saving about £33,000 uh, off their tax bill, some in this year, some in future years as well. But that just gives you an idea of the sorts of numbers uh, that we're talking about. This is a, a block of flats that was converted into serviced accommodation. The whole project will be about £215,000 uh, by the time it's finished. Uh, and we estimate there'll be about £45,000 worth of capital allowances, £45,000 worth of plant and machinery, all those second fix items in there. Um, and the LLP that owns that will save about £18,000 in tax on there. Uh, this is a house that was bought for serviced accommodation as a sort of one-off pension, if you like. Um, for £600,000, the whole project was bought and developed. The plant and machinery value is about £140,000 on there. What this means in this case, this case, this couple have got £139,000 worth of tax relief to offset any future profits. So on the start of their property journey, they know that they can make £139,000 worth of profits before they start paying any tax. And that's the value of plant and machinery that we've identified uh, in this particular property. And as I said, it applies from uh, anything from one bedroom flats that you operate as serviced accommodation up to bigger guest houses, two, three, four bedroom homes are fairly typical. Um, this is a, a bigger project uh, where it was um, an old bank which was converted into residential flats and then some holiday let properties as well it's a million pound project um, and the plant and machinery that we identify will be about three hundred and seventy two thousand pounds so this is uh, a limited company that was set up specifically for this this will start off with a tax loss of three hundred and seventy two thousand pounds which i think worked out about five and a half years before it started paying any tax based on their sort of forecast rental income uh, for that as well. So this, it's another great way of um, not paying tax for the first few years. You can add it into your cash flow calculations um, and it can, uh, it can make a bit of difference. So I'll cover off again some of the basics against capital allowances. One of the biggest things is uh, you can use it against any income stream. Sideways loss relief, that's called. Very valuable, very powerful in terms of um, building up your portfolio quicker, getting hold of that money that you're paying in tax and um, yeah, getting that back if you've already paid it or, or delaying when you have to pay tax to, to the revenue as well. It's legislation, so it's not some sort of fancy loophole that um, certain footballers might be interested in. 
It is uh, a genuine uh, legislation that is being applied to these types of properties and it's been around, as I said, since 1878. So it's not um, some sort of loophole that's going to disappear soon as well. In fact, the Office for Tax Simplification did look into it uh, October 2018 and actually said capital allowance is, is a brilliant piece of tax relief, which is flexible enough to encourage people to invest properties, uh, invest in properties and other plant and machinery um, by utilising sort of first year allowances. So it's, it's flexible and it's very useful as well. So they decided to, to keep hold of it. And it was it had a place in today's um, tax field, if you like. Um, so typically, as I said, service accommodation is brilliant. Holiday lets, great. Commercial properties, as long as it's not somebody's main residence, uh, then you're able to claim. Uh, and for HMOs, you can claim on certain areas within a HMO. And one of the most amazing things that I find is that um, about four or five years ago now, the revenue themselves published in, uh, published a report to say that 96% of all property transactions hadn't maximised their capital allowances, which, which I think is phenomenal. Um, but of course, you know, it's not really surprising because capital allowances is a cost to the treasury. And if everybody claimed it at once, there would be a massive drop in revenues to the treasury. And by them introducing these new rules where you have to agree the allowances with the previous owner, over time, that restricts their liability that the Treasury have got for all the unclaimed capital allowances. Because in 20 years' time, for example, a lot of the properties would have changed hands. And if the capital allowances have been realised at that point, then they won't be claimed forever again. So it's, um, it's kind of time-limited for the next 30 years, I would say. Um, but yes, that's quite an interesting statement. One thing that a lot of people think is that if I claim capital allowances today, somehow I've got to pay more capital gains tax in the future. And well, first of all, that's incorrect. But secondly, just to explain it, some people think if I claim capital allowances, it will somehow reduce the base cost of your property. So if you sell it for more, there's a bigger gap between the purchase price and the sale price. And I'll tell you why they don't interact at all, because uh, capital allowances are only allowed against income uh, based receipts that you have, whereas capital gains tax is a tax on the increase in value of a property. So the two different types of tax reliefs. So capital, whether you claim capital allowances or not, your capital gains position will be exactly the same. If you claim capital allowances, then that is only offset against income rather than a gain in your asset value. So they don't uh, compete with each other at all. You won't pay more capital gains tax by um, claiming capital allowances. And again, as I mentioned right at the very beginning, the planning status of your property is irrelevant. Uh, it's how the property is actually traded, which is important. Um, and a couple more bits to, to sort of finish up on is um, between 8 and 150% of what you spend on a property uh, can be claimed for. And that's quite incredible because people think, well, how can you spend... 150% or how can you claim 150% of uh, something on a property? Well, we've been talking mainly about plant and machinery. There's also something which has come in uh, fairly recently for more commercial properties called structure and buildings allowance, which is fine. Um, but there's also a couple of other areas which people should be aware of. Something called land remediation relief, which is by far the single biggest tax relief that the government offer. And any money you spend cleaning up contaminated land or buildings you can claim 150% as a tax deduction. 
And the other thing is something called enhanced capital allowances. I mean, as if they're not exciting enough, right? There's an enhanced version of capital allowances. And that is more specifically to do with uh, energy efficient plant and machinery. So land remediation relief, again, any money you spend cleaning up um, contaminated land or buildings, and that's typically sort of, as I said, asbestos in the building or oil uh, um, or hydrocarbons in the ground, uh, Japanese knotweed, um, anything, any money you spend cleaning up contaminated buildings or land, you can claim 150% of all of the associated costs uh, against profit. And even better than that, you can actually surrender those costs to the revenue and they will pay you for those or rather the tax that you would have saved on that in one go. So that's a great way to sort of plan for cash flow as well, effectively. Um, and it is unfortunately only available for limited companies. So if you have a limited company, even a limited company that owns a residential property that's got contamination, you're able to claim the allowances on those as well. Um, as long as you didn't put the pollution there, that's fine. So enhanced capital allowances, that, as I said, that covers energy efficient plant and machinery. And it's typically for bigger projects. But if you are if you are um, investing in these types of things, then uh, you're able to claim a massive amount of tax relief on top of plant and machinery allowances as well. And typically these days, it's it's uh, yeah, geothermal heat pumps or it's uh, air to air uh, exchanges, or it might be sort of building management systems or uh, solar panels, that kind of thing, or you know, high temperature wood pellet burners uh, and this sort of thing here, which is energy efficient and as long as it's on the government's list then you're able to claim the whole cost of that against tax uh, in the first year and there's no upper limit on that so just to sort of summarize um, for today um, what we found is with capital allowances up to twenty-eight thousand pounds of tax is saved for every hundred thousand pounds of expenditure so factor that in when you're looking at your next particular deal thinking okay I could save £28,000 in tax for every £100,000 I spend on a property uh, and what impact that would have. And it can increase the ROI, but up to nearly 12% in year one, which may make some projects more viable than others. Um, and as I said, if anything to take from today, these new rules that have come out, if the previous owner could have claimed the allowances, then by all means, make sure that the contract is safe Make sure you've got all the clauses in place. Make sure that you've got uh, the solicitors on board. Make sure that it's done properly so that you can benefit from those capital allowances. It's, it sounds quite a, a complex area. Generally, it's fairly straightforward in terms of the seller just needs to agree to the, the clauses that are in the contracts. And most of the times they do. Um, occasionally, they, they're not or they're scared. So there's, there is a process to deal with that, but not dealing with it properly at tra property transaction time will actually hamper your ability to claim any allowances on the property and nobody in the future will be able to claim those allowances either. So it has to be done properly. Um, and at the very least, if you're not sure, pick up the phone and give me a call and then we can just talk through it if, uh, if it's that particular uh, transaction. So um, there's some contact details there, which um, you can get me at ak at exactca.co.uk um, or just look on the um, yeah, website, exactca.co.uk. You can contact me there uh, or uh, on Facebook and the like as well. So that's uh, quite a quick sort of um, overview, Kevin, there of uh, capital allowances. And um, I think, yeah, lots of information. And if anybody's got any questions, I'm more than happy to, uh, to answer those for them.
That's fantastic, Arthur. Thank you very much for that. We do have plenty of questions. Um, and so I'll just I'll just ask them in, in the order they appeared on my screen. Apologies, I don't always get to see the name of the person who has asked the question. So I'll just read the, the questions out without introducing the person ask, asking them. Let me just go to a few admin things. Okay, so first proper question is, hi, Arthur, this is very useful. Uh, really sorry if I missed this. I have a buy-to-let in Liverpool. Next year, I plan to switch to service accommodation. Um, presumably, at that stage, I can claim capital allowances. My main question is, if it's not successful and I flip back to buy-to-let at some point, is there any chance I may need to pay the tax saved? So a lot of people are in that position because they think they like the idea of serviced accommodation, but they're not sure if it's something for them. Now, according to the legislation, as long as you trade a serviced accommodation unit uh, for at least one day in a given tax year, you can claim that whole year's worth of allowances. And if it is a genuine attempt to say, I tried serviced accommodation, uh, it didn't work out and I'm going back to the buy to let, then you can claim that year's worth of allowances. If you then decided to do that for the next seven or eight properties, uh, the revenue might not be so um, uh, appreciative of your uh, of your your tack there, as it were. So, yeah, if it's a genuine try, of course you can claim you can claim the allowances. You wouldn't have to pay anything back. Fantastic, thank you. Next question: I understand that the property owner can't claim capital allowance if I take it on a fixed monthly company let. So, on a sort of rent to SA type scenario. Um, uh, that but can or but if I take it on a variable monthly income commission management agreement, I believe that the company let scenario could be tweaked to enable capital allowances to be claimed by introducing a variable monthly element, something like eight hundred pounds uh, per month plus five percent of the income. So, any rules of thumb for the amount or type of variation that would. Uh, be needed to qualify? I think this obviously relates to the fact that the landlord, the difference between the landlord having a property company and a serviced accommodation company, as long as the, the property, the landlord has an interest in the success of the serviced accommodation business, then that's perfectly fine. Whatever the rules might be or the set amounts of rental income per month or so, as long as that landlord has an interest and is rewarded for the, the the increased performance in that particular service accommodation, then that would satisfy the requirement in order for the landlord to be able to claim. But of course, each deal is completely individual, so we'd have to look at uh, each one uh, on its own. Fantastic. Okay, so <laughs> I, know, I know this person because of the way he, he writes, hey, Mr. Kemp, love your work. He's putting love parts in there. Um, so <laughs> have you ever worked with a, a factory-built modular development um so big lego blocks plopped on the land <laughs> that we run as sa so modular type uh development run as sa he's, he's ended it with they are lush <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure they are well it's interesting because you've got to look at two different things here because caravans themselves and i know it's not a caravan but caravans themselves in their entirety are deemed to be items of plant and machinery so a hundred percent uh, tax deductible for caravan costs and that's only because they have the ability to move because they've got wheels on they might not move 
But if they do that, then you can claim 100% of the cost. Whereas a fixed sort of property, which would, whether it's modular or, or not, uh, because it's fixed to the ground and is not movable in that in that sense, you can still claim for the plant and machinery within those properties. So that's fine. As long as you're trading that particular property uh, in a qualifying activity as a service let, a service accommodation unit, then you still get all the plant and machinery within as well. So you'll still have modular unit, modular units will still have water, they'll still have bathrooms, they'll have sanitary ware, heating, lighting. Uh, so all of those items you can claim for as well. Fantastic. Next question. If you purchase a qualifying property in a JV uh, using a limited company, is SLR, so sideways loss relief, uh, still allowed, i.e. 50% relief to both JV partners? So you've got to look at who owns the actual property. It's going to be, I dare say, uh, an agreement between two individuals that they would set up an SPV limited company to buy that property. So who owns the property? The limited company would own the property, even though you've got a separate agreement of what to do with the profits of that limited company. So in this case, the limited company would be able to claim capital allowances against its profit and therefore reduce its corporation tax. So you as directors or shareholders would not be able to use that because you are different limited, uh, different legal entities. However, what very often happens is, is that if there's another company within that tax group that has uh, common ownership, then you can have a tax group set up. So it was very popular um, years ago, what well, still is now. Very often you get larger companies that might have a property company and a retail company and some sort of development company um, all together, and they're in the same tax group. And what would happen is the uh, one of the companies, maybe the development company or the retail company would make the profits, but the property company would have all the capital allowances. And in that case, just like sideways loss relief for an individual, you can use group tax relief to offset profits that the profitable companies will make using the capital allowances in there. So again, um, developers these days, developers that have been going for a long time, they tend to have some assets, some properties that they might have developed and kept hold of uh, for rental income, but they've also got their development company where they make the profits. So what they'll do is they'll have them in the same tax group so that the profits or the amount of tax that they pay will be limited because they can use the allowances on the properties they hold to offset the profits that they use uh, on the development and selling of the properties there. So there is a way to do it, not from company to director, but into company, if you like, that way. But it's just quite important to appreciate that directors are very different legal entities to the companies which they operate. So therefore, you can't just take the allowances that company has and use it as an individual, if that, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, very clear. Thank you, Arthur. Next question. If we purchase a qualifying property with the plan to develop, would you need to do a site assessment first to allow for existing second fix fittings as well as afterwards con to consider the final works, etc.? In, in an ideal world, um, yes. The ideal process is um, we get involved in negotiations, the contract negotiation stage so that all the right clauses are there so that um, you automatically get the capital allowances and the vendor has to meet their obligations. Um, and then once you've got that access to that property, ideally we go in and exactly as you say, we need to go and do a survey to identify and value all of that plant and machinery, all the second fix items uh, which are on site. Then of course, you're going to develop the property into what you want it to be. 
Um, and then again, we would need to come back and do the same process again, but looking at the development costs rather than the purchase side of things. That would be the ideal process. And that happens more and more these days because people are aware of the importance of capital allowances at negotiation stage rather than historically it used to be the case that um, people would find out about capital allowances and then say, well, I've had these properties for 10 years, can I make a claim on those? Which you still can, provided that um, well, now as you'd have to do it within two years. But previously, if they had the property for a number of years, they only found out about capital allowances after they'd done all the development works. And we can still do that process, but it's just not as straightforward as visiting the property twice um, during the, um, the sort of life cycle of it. So, um, so yes, that's, that's the ideal process. Thanks, Arthur. Um, next question, does this offset against corporation tax or just income tax or personal tax? I presume um, the question is, I think you have covered or talked about this, but just to to re-emphasize um, this this point for people perhaps yeah so again it's whoever owns the property so if, if the property is in your limited company then it's going to mitigate the limited company's corporation tax because that company is it's got its sales and it's got, it's got all its income and it's got its costs so it's going to be operating a profit off of that profit the capital allowances will be taken so therefore you'll either reduce the profit and pay less in corporation tax or it will create a loss, which you can then roll forward to future years. That's in a limited company. Um, or if it's in your own name personally, then you have a choice, which is great, because you can either still claim the capital allowances, which is fine. Uh, you can either claim those allowances only against the property profits and roll forward the loss to offset future years. Or if you have other taxable income, still claim those allowances in that year and then surrender those allowances. So you can't use them against future profits, but you surrender those allowances against your other income that you might have, so you get the tax back quicker. So in a scenario where somebody's a higher rate taxpayer and they perhaps haven't got lots of profits in their property business anyway, it might be better to use those allowances against your other taxable income to get back that higher rate of tax. So all that money you've paid through your PAYE you then resubmit your or submit your tax return, and then you get a large proportion of that back as a check or straight into your bank account these days from the treasury, and then that's for you to spend on whatever you wish. So that's what a lot of people do, mainly people who are higher rate taxpayers. Some people are in the situation where they only have property and they use the allowances purely to claim as a tax deductible business expense of their property portfolio to reduce the overall taxable profits they make, or in a lot of cases, make a big tax loss, and then just roll that loss forward, uh, still making the same profit, still making the same cash, but they've just got this big tax loss that they roll forward to offset future year's uh, profits. So it can be, depending on who owns it, depends on how it can be treated. But just to clarify, even you as a director, you don't have any rights to those allowances. If the company owns it, then it's the company that's, uh, that's able to claim. So thanks, Arthur. There's a question here that you asked, you answered earlier. So um, it's about uh, having to pay capital uh, allowances back if you if you dispose of a property. So I, I won't uh, ask that one. I will um, say on that though, Kevin, if I may, it, yeah. it, it might be the case that um, when you're selling the property, the capital allowances that are still left might be more valuable 
to the buyer than they are to you. So let's say there's £20,000 worth of allowances that haven't been claimed. If the buyer is a 40% taxpayer, then that's going to save them £8,000 off their tax bill. And if you're not paying tax at the moment, or you're a lower rate taxpayer, it might be a point for negotiation um, at that time. If they ask the question about capital allowances, if they're interested, they may decide to um, pay you separately for them or give you a, a slightly increased uh, sales price in order for you to surrender those allowances to them. So they, again, should be considered at sale point just to see if they're um, if you can get more value out of them effectively. Presumably, they would have to be using the property as a qualifying activity, though. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, if they're if they're buying a serviced accommodation unit and wanting to convert it back to residential, they're not going to pay anything extra anyway. Um, there's no point. But um, if they're wanting to carry on that trade, it may be, and you're wanting to stop your business, for example, um, then that might be something to consider. Great, thank you. Next question: If I do not get consent from the previous owner, will I be able to claim? So. And this, sometimes this is the case where through lack of knowledge and education, as soon as you start talking about tax and signing sorts of elections and contracts and things, lots, not lots of people, some people are quite hesitant about that because they don't understand and they're a bit scared to commit to something that, um, uh, that might be a bit of an issue uh, in the future, so they think. So sometimes they just don't want to get involved, which is perfectly fine. So we've then got two years from completion in order to get their agreement. And it typically goes like this. It typically, uh, we send a letter to them saying, thanks very much. Our client has bought the property from you. They wish to claim the capital allowances, which wasn't part of the sales contract. Under the legislation, we've got two years to get this agreed. Um, please, can you sign this declaration to say you haven't claimed the allowances and you'll disclose the right information to the revenue as part of your tax return? And um, guess how many responses we get to those letters normally? Yeah, pretty much yeah, pretty much zero. So we write to them again and we try to speak to them. Uh, and we say to them, you know, if you don't agree to this, we will have to go to a first-tier tax tribunal to get it adjudicated on, uh, which we get a bit more of a positive response once we've sort of explained that, you know, um, that's uh, people don't want to go to a tribunal. And we explain that it's not going to cost them anything for them to sign this documentation They've sold the property. They can't benefit from it now anyway. So you may as well avoid the tribunal, sign the documentation, speak to your accountants to get their input to make sure you know we're genuine and we're not trying to defraud you or anything like this. Um, and once they've signed that, that's per that's perfectly fine. That's that's all you need. But of course, again, at that point, some people still aren't interested. So what we do is we have a there's a, a dedicated email at the um, tribunal specifically for capital allowances disputes like this and um, all we do is provide them all the information they need about the vendor the buyer um, the property the capital allowances the um, land registry title number etc and a whole host of things and it goes before a judge the judge then speaks to the revenue speaks to the valuations office agency makes sure there's no claims that have been made and then determines that yes you the new owner are able to claim the allowances um and i'll be honest with you the last one that we've had decided um last week it was in fact took about 14 months for the um uh, for the, the tax tribunal service to go through their due process obviously we had the rona so um that obviously delayed things a fair bit but uh, either, either way it's a very slow process but once you've started that process, it's uh, the time sort of stops effectively. So 
um, you can do that. So in short, yes, there is a specific process to go through if the previous owner hasn't agreed it. Um, we do it as a softly, softly approach, letters and telephone calls explaining why, um, but if they're still not um, cooperating, there is a, a specific route which has been set out in the legislation as well um, to go through the tribunal for these particular disputes. Fantastic. It's very clear. Thank you. Next question. I understand that I can't claim capital allowances on a property if it has previously been claimed, but what about any new work done to the property? Can that cost be claimed? Yep. So anytime you spend money on a property, you're, there's a new claim for you. So if you buy a property, even if it's had all the work done, there still, still may be something you can claim anyway, or even if it's had a capital allowances claim on it. There's certain things that previous owners couldn't claim before 2008, so there might be something extra on there. Uh, anyway, but um, any new work that you have done on the property that's capitalized, and I want to make it kind of clear, sometimes some of the work that's done on the property is written off as expenses in the year, maintenance, decorating, that kind of thing. You can't claim for those because you've already got the tax relief in the year. But anything that's capitalized, generally any larger works, any sort of um, extensions or large refurbishments, yes, of course, you can easily claim the capital allowances. You don't have to get any agreements in place. It's purely based on the invoices that you've received for those various bits of work. And what we do is we look at all of your invoices and we reconcile it against what we've found on site that's plant and machinery. Uh, and you can have a well, what we call a development claim, so a claim on your development uh, project. So, yes, definitely. We'll definitely be putting in a development claim very shortly, Arthur. Don't worry about that. We'll be keeping you busy. Um, so next question is houseboats. Same principle as caravan. Yeah, house. Yeah, there's a specific piece of um, legislation, parts of the Act, which highlight that uh, houseboats and house and caravans are treated exactly the same way. So yeah, 100% of the cost of a houseboat should be tax deductible if you're letting it accordingly. Fantastic. And I'm going to make this the last question. I think that is actually the last question, so I'm not missing anyone out. If I purchased a commercial property through my SAS to convert to SA, are you able to claim capital allowances? No. Nope. And the reason for that is because SASs and SIPs uh, don't pay tax. They're outside the, um, the scope to tax. So what a lot of people do is, uh, once they're aware of this, is they tend to buy properties in their own name hold on to it for a few years, claiming the capital allowances, and then at some point in the future, transfer it into their um, into their pension. That way, it's a very tax-efficient way of making sure you get the tax relief and the ultimate goal of that property being in the, in the pension fund. So uh, if you've already bought it in there, sorry, you've missed out this time. I'm going to allow one more. Cara's just uh, posted one. Um, I'm going to allow it, this one to sneak in under the line, um, a motorhome. Uh, well, the the um, vehicles rules. So there's lots of rules about uh, capital allowances for vehicles. If it's an energy efficient, um, if it's a Tesla type uh, motor home, I'm sure you can get 100% tax relief in year one. But uh, uh, no, it's, it's generally generally not a, uh, an item of plant and machinery. A motor home that's available um, for people to book for short term lettings. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so initially, no, because um, there's specific rules about renting vehicles out. So um, if, you, if you have a car 
or energy efficient car, for example, you get 100% tax relief in year one. Um, and if you're renting a car out on short um, short terms, there's, there's a whole different set of rules specifically for cars than there are for buildings. Because bear in mind, plant and machinery is for buildings. Um, and you couldn't argue that a car is a movable building where you could argue that a caravan is a movable building because that's where people uh, live. So I think, yeah, motorhome would be treated as a vehicle because it's predominantly designed to move uh, there as well. So, yeah, I think that would be quite a difficult one to argue for from the revenues point of view. Fantastic. Thank you, Arthur. So we're getting um, lots of people commenting, saying it's been extremely useful and, and saying thank you for this presentation today i want to thank you uh, personally also it's been fantastic very enlightening i've picked up well you've reminded me of a few things but i've actually learned some really good things uh, from today as well so that's that's great and so before i let you go crack on doing your capital allowances claims for people again um for anyone that wants to reach out to you you've got obviously the email address as mentioned earlier on or your uh, your facebook and so i just want to finish off uh, by saying to everybody please claim your capital allowances because it's just lots and lots of tax free money for you but also arthur's um for, for you know under certain circumstances uh, are you you're willing to to speak to owners of of property who might be considering giving it to someone to use as as SA so let's say a, 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 a an SA management type scenario so the operator is using it as SA but then the owner can uh, claim capital allowances on the property so correct correct me if I'm wrong under certain circumstances you're willing to speak to the owner of the property on behalf of the person using the property is that correct yeah absolutely I, you know I'm, I'm i'm more than happy to give out advice and speak to people about the best way to sort of structure agreements sale contracts in order to everybody to maximize uh, their capital allowances so yeah more than happy to do that just uh, give me a call drop me an email first of all ak at exactca.co.uk or uh, visit the website there's more information on there www that was three W's, isn't it? Dot uh, exactca.co.uk. Um, you know, we've all got lots of time indoors in the house, so uh, let's 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 have a look at that. Fantastic. So people can actually le leverage you um, in order to help build their SA uh, portfolio for rent to SA profit share type rent to SA, but also SA management as well. So. Mm -hmm. um, a win-win situation for everybody on that so hopefully everyone found this useful today here's to your service accommodation success and remember your future needs you take care thanks for listening to the service accommodation property podcast why not also check out my website www.propertysoldier.co.uk where you can learn more about property and service accommodation 